นโมทัสสะภะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังดมังสังฆังนมัสสะเราเห็นวิธีการที่ทำให้เราหลุดพ้นจากความกลัว
That's, of course, a, a great gift if we hear these teachings and they make sense to us. It doesn't mean that we get through life without being subjected to what's sometimes referred to as the eight worldly winds or the eight worldly dhammas, praise and blame. Everybody's praised and everybody's blamed. Gain and loss. Everybody sometimes wins, sometimes loses, sometimes successful, sometimes fails. Praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and pain, honour and insignificance. These eight worldly wins, everybody, even those who are fully realised, fully awakened, truly wise, perfectly, unshakably compassionate, such beings are still subject to these eight worldly wins. Sometimes people have these rather romantic notions that that uh, getting wise or awakening or realisation means that it's just absolutely lovely and... Uh, those, including the Buddha, uh, who have awakened, make it very clear, if you pay attention to their teachings, uh, that it's not like that at all. And the Buddha himself, and people humiliated him, insulted him in public, and even tried to kill him, accused him of all sorts of stuff. When Lumpa Liam, the head of our monastery in Thailand, was visiting, and along with one of the other senior monks, I was speaking with Lumpa Liam and in rather a, a, a slightly, I confess, slightly a complaining way because the, the website at his monastery, Wapapong Monastery's website, had some really thoroughly inaccurate information on it and it was, yeah, it was unfortunate and it was, had consequences and I thought, I thought, well, it's not a big deal to just, you know, get your website up to date, so... I was telling Lumpa Liam that I thought they should do something about it. And, and he just says, look, the stuff that I have to deal with, the kind of nonsense that I'm accused of and expected to handle, everybody expects me to sort out everything. Yeah. So it's not the case that wise beings, truly realized beings, are not subjected to difficulties. Praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and pain, honour and insignificance. These worldly winds still affect everybody. But what's different is that awakened beings have wisdom. And wisdom functions so as... Well, how does wisdom function? Perhaps that's the question to ask. Recently... There was a request from one of the Buddhist groups that listens to my talks from the internet and apparently I'd given a talk uh, about that wisdom was the thing to aim for and, and for all sorts of reasons I was giving examples of how actually just pursuing goodness is not enough, goodness is not going to save us, happiness is not going to save us, all the things that we tend to like, virtue itself is not going to save us. If there's not wisdom, then when it comes to the end, when we're faced with, with old age, sickness and death, then the chances are we're not going to fare very well. 
So wisdom is the thing, was the point I was making. But apparently I heard from this group that I never said what wisdom was. And so they wanted to know, well, what actually is this wisdom? So how do we understand wisdom? Certainly this is held up by the Buddha as the expression of the heart and mind that is freed from ignorance. It manifests as perfect wisdom and perfect compassion. Um, well, one way of talking about wisdom would be, for instance, to say it's a life lived in accordance with the Eightfold Path. It's when the Buddha taught the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Middle Way, you know, this is what wisdom looks like. You know, right view, right thought, right speech, right action, we've all read about the Eightfold Path, we're all familiar with it. And today, after the meal, there was a a group of visitors here who has specifically asked if I would speak about the Middle Way because they'd heard about it, but they couldn't really understand it. So we spent some time considering this together, and, and one of the things that's important to understand about the middle way is that there are many different ways of talking about it. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, there, you could say there's actually even there's even three different middle ways. Mm-hmm. We all know the middle way, the Buddha taught the middle way, but what really is the middle way? If this is the expression of wisdom, as this is the, the definition of a wise life, a wise human being, somebody who lives in harmony with the middle way, with the Eightfold Path, what is it really? Well, on one level, it's just that, what we talked about there, this description of right view, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, these eight factors. But when we're talking at that level, that's what generally referred to as the theoretical eightfold path or an approximation it's an approximation of the eightfold path you could say it's the eightfold path you could say it's the middle way you could say it's wisdom teachings a very refined description of what right view is what right thought is clear expression of what right speech and right action right livelihood the Buddha goes into great detail over and over again explaining these things but this is all, in Pali, what we refer to as pariyati, or the uh, theoretical aspect, or the theoretical eightfold path. And that's very different from practicing the eightfold path. And this was, in fact, the, the, the difficulty that this group of people today, after the meal, uh, were having, it seems, or not, I can tell, and... They'd all heard about the Eightfold Path for many, many years, but they hadn't made the shift into really doing the Eightfold Path, which is, of course, what the Buddha wanted us to do. Really live the Eightfold Path. What does that mean in practice? Well, in practice, in Pali, the level of patipati, Pariyati is the study, Patipati is the practice. Yeah. It's really a different eightfold path. It's very different. It's like, it's like the difference between 
having, having seen photographs, videos uh, of Switzerland, these beautiful mountains and uh, quaint houses and lovely fields of wildflowers and Switzerland is gorgeous to look at. But if all we've seen is photographs and videos and heard tape recordings of people yodeling but we've never been to Switzerland well we can't say that we really know Switzerland at all can we? It's obvious if we talk on that level. And if you go and visit Switzerland and you breathe the air, the nice clean mountain air, that's very different. That's a really important aspect of Switzerland. Everybody's so friendly, you go walking and everybody's going around, grüzi, 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 all so friendly. And... But then you've got to also be careful because looking at photo books or watching videos about Switzerland doesn't tell you how to keep your eye out for a you know, slippery gravel and how you can fall over very easily and, or how much it costs to catch the train from the Geneva airport to where you want to go. The experience of visiting Switzerland is really different from sitting at home in Northumberland looking at a picture book of wildflowers and mountain goats and mm-hmm bells around their neck and thinking how quaint it is. Actually those bells around the neck can be very annoying. Those cows have got these huge great big bells and if your chalet up in the mountain has some of these cows next door, these bells, they make a huge noise. Uh, They're not cute at all really. So the experience of visiting Switzerland is completely different from the experience of or the approximation that we can access by looking at a book or watching a video. So it is likewise with the Eightfold Path or the cultivation of wisdom is very different from reading about it. Completely different reality. In fact, we've got to stop thinking. You can think about the Eightfold Path. You can even have arguments, and often scholars do. Scholars often argue about what did the Buddha really mean by Samma Ditti, Samma Sankapa. What is Samma Sankapa, really? Uh, Samma Samadhi, what is it really? Samma Wayama, what is it really? You can be thinking, thinking, thinking about it and not have a clue about the benefit of the potential benefit of practicing the Eightfold Path. Just again, exactly the same as sitting in Northumberland looking at a picture book about Switzerland. We don't know anything about Switzerland, not really. It's just a very vague approximation. But it can inspire us to go and visit Switzerland, and likewise, the, uh, studying about the Eightfold Path can give us a handle, and it's definitely relevant. But the practice is very different. So, to practice the Eightfold Path, what we need to do is to stop thinking and turn our attention inwards and recognize this as possibility of disciplining attention, bringing attention into the whole body-mind, settling our minds, 
learning to recognize what it's like to feel inwardly still. To feel inwardly still. Not to think stillness, but to feel inwardly still. What does that really feel like? That's a very different reality from thinking about these things. So practicing the Eightfold Path, cultivating wisdom means, in fact, doesn't mean thinking a lot. It'll mean stop thinking. Now, when we first hear this, for some people, in fact, today when I was speaking with this group of people after the meal, it did look like at least some of them were really puzzled when I said we need to stop thinking. Because for many people, that that's the negation of self. For many of us, we're conditioned to find our sense of self, our sense of personal identity in our thinking mind, in our active conceptualizing mind. We don't generally, for many of us, get trained in abiding in open-hearted, open-minded awareness that has a sense of ease and stillness and vitality it's not numbed out it's not asleep you can have well you can have there is such a thing as stupid samadhi but that's not what we're cultivating the kind of tranquility the buddha was encouraging us to cultivate is is alive and alert so developing the not thinking quality of awareness gives us access to the ability to consider in a feeling way. This is a different sort of language. Something else about going to visit Switzerland. They don't, not that many people in Switzerland speak English. They'll speak German or French or Italian. So you can't communicate. You've got to spend a long time learning how to communicate. It's a whole different language. You can't get around very well unless you learn to speak German or French or Italian. And it's not even normal German, it's special dialect. So it is with cultivating the middle way, cultivating wisdom, cultivating insight, cultivating understanding, cultivating the Eightfold Path, we need to read a different language, we need to speak a different language. We need to be able to access a different language, and it's a it's a language of feeling. And this might sound strange, but a lot of the way we get through life is through feeling. We don't, we're not always thinking about things. Like if you want to know, if you run the water for a bath, and you want to know, is it hot enough? Do you stand there and think about it? No. <laughs> well, you put your hand in and you feel. And it's got nothing to do with what you think at all. Thinking is completely irrelevant. You don't have to think to know whether the bath water is the right temperature or not. Or if you're cooking, how do you know, has this got the right amount of salt in it? Or too much, too little? You don't have to think about it. In fact, thinking about it does no good at all. You taste it. You taste it. Or if you're tuning a musical instrument... How do you tell whether it's in tune or not? Not by thinking, but by sensing. Well, likewise, on the heart level, on the inner level, 
How do we know whether the way we're relating to a particular memory is giving rise to suffering or not? Thinking about it is not enough. All the thinking does, as with, well, there's other activity, all thinking does is give direction to our attention. But the attention then is a feeling investigation. We feel the whole body-mind. What happens when we relate in that way to that memory? Does it conduce with letting go and a sense of freedom? Or does it make us all hot and bothered and compound the difficulty, the struggle? Our thinking has got very little to do with it. So in this way, the practice of the cultivation of wisdom, the cultivation of a life lived in accordance with the Eightfold Path, requires that we learn a different language language of a feeling investigation and it takes years sometimes people hear about Buddhist teachings or read about them and they have a good conceptual understanding and and because we've been taught to identify with our thinking I imagine that I then understand Buddhism and so I apply that initial level of understanding to life, to experience and it doesn't work Oh, well, that was another con, another false religion. Useless. Go go and take some drugs or something and get an immediate result. Well, if we really listen to what the Buddha and the wise teachers have taught us, then we realize we need to be very patient and, and... just with learning a language, you, know, you can't just suddenly become articulate and, and communicating in Switzerdeutsch. You have to, even if you can learn basic German to get the dialect that's used in Switzerland, it can take a long time. And so it is with cultivating the path of wisdom. It takes time. But the message that the Buddha wanted us to get and what the essence, the core, the point of the Eightfold Path, the middle way, is all to do with how we interfere with life that creates suffering. Mm -hmm. It's about how to recognize clinging. We do this thing, we do this thing clinging, and we interfere with life. And we create problems for ourselves and for each other. And they can have very sad and difficult, far-reaching consequences. So the Buddha, out of his wisdom and compassion, spent the rest of his life uh, in teaching in various ways and means, and various upaya, various skillful means, for how to come to see in our own case, in our own experience, in the moment that it's happening, where, when and how we do what we do that creates this predicament, this habit, this clinging. And part of that exercise, examining that, it's not the word clinging. I mean, you can know upadana in Pali or clinging or attachment or grasping, yit man, man, if you speak Thai, or whatever other language you might use. 
These are all, again, still this is all, all that language, that's all photographs of Switzerland, that's all approximation, that's all pariyati. Mm-hmm. The practice, we need to find our own way of getting in there. So what is, what is this clinging that the Buddha is referring to? It's not the concept. The concept is not it. The concept is only there to give direction to our feeling investigation. So sometimes it means we've got to find our own word. Often it means that. And we don't just pick up the words that some scholar during the Victorian era decided to translate the Pali Canon and use that. And maybe that word doesn't work for us. The word I like most for examining this dynamic that's being referred to there is indulging. When I think about indulging, that gives me a feeling for what's being referred to in terms of the activity, the dynamic that creates problems. Problems don't really exist. Problems are a creation. The wise beings learn how to stop creating problems. They don't have problems. They just don't exist. They still have pain. They still have difficulties. They still have issues that they have to deal with. But they're not problems. We have problems because we have these unhelpful tendencies, like, if we use that word, we have the tendency to indulge in experience. Now, that may not work for you. For some people, that word has a lot of negative, judgmental connotations. But if we can extract that word from those negative connotations and judgments and what indulgence means is it means getting lost. At least that's what it means to me. It means getting lost in experience. And then you apply all the pointings that the Buddha gave, the teachings the Buddha gave. Getting lost in any experience leads to confusion, leads to misjudgment. doesn't make us bad people. It just means that we... We misjudge situations. You know, like some pleasant sound comes along. Like the chanting. When we do the chanting, sometimes in the monastery, when we're chanting a chant that everybody knows and and everybody's relaxed, they're not having to think to remember their lines. They just surrender themselves into the chanting and, and they can hear each other. Uh, the trick with chanting is you're supposed to be able to hear your own voice, the voice of the person next to you, and the voice of the leader. That's the standard for learning how to chant at the right volume. And, and then you can tune in. And so when we chant the chants that everybody knows, it sometimes strikes up this beautiful resonance, this beautiful harmonious sound. And it's so lovely and so pleasing and inspiring. And, but if we get lost in that pleasure, it's pleasant. But if I get lost in that, and then we do a chant that some people haven't learnt yet, and so they're struggling, they're not listening anymore, they're just busy thinking about their lines, and, and so then they start chanting out of tune, and then there's this ghastly cacophony, this noise, this discordant noise that people are producing, and we'll get lost in that, and that's not fun. We might think it's fun when we're getting lost in pleasure, but the issue is that if we're going to get lost in pleasure, we will get lost in pain. 
If we get lost in praise, we will get lost in blame. If we get lost in success, we will get lost in failure. If we get lost in being famous and honoured and noticed and held up, then when we're dismissed, overlooked, we'll also get lost in that. The wise beings are subjected to the eight worldly winds, but they don't get blown over. Like a tree, they've got deep roots. They're secure. They're stable. They're unshakable because they've realized that all of these things, praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and pain, honor and insignificance, this is just changing conditions. This is just the stuff. Wisdom sees beyond the way things appear to be And so they don't get blown over. Pleasant sights, pleasant sounds, pleasant tastes, it's the same. If we have this attitude, well then we can cultivate the middle way all the time. Formal practice, daily life practice, you get a delicious meal. Are we going to get lost in it? Are we going to indulge in the flavours? Now what the world is about is about just that. How can we sell a product in a way whereby people will get lost in it. That's what most of the world is about. That's what consumerism is about. The whole philosophy of consumerism is intentionally, consciously built on conning people into thinking they need the product. So they want us to get lost in wanting their product. However, if we equip ourselves with alertness, with sensory strength with interest in reality, then we're not necessarily going to get hooked by these experiences. We're not going to have to get pulled into indulging. We're not going to have to get lost. If we don't get lost in pleasant flavours, well then when the flavours are not so pleasant, we're not going to stamp our feet and insult the cook or the waiter or the restaurant owner. Is it disagreeable? It won't come back to this restaurant again. Yeah. Sight, sound, smells, taste, touches, and mental impressions, all of it. The six sense bases, the sense objects. Yeah. All of it is available for the cultivation of wisdom, yeah. for seeing according to reality, seeing beyond the way things appear to be. Yeah. I don't quite know why, but I, for a long time I, I've found it interesting to study how it is that advertisers try to hook us. When I go into the city, I, I like looking at the billboards and say, where's the hook? Where are these advertising agents, these graphic designers, where are they trying to hook us into believing that we need their product. Or if I hear somebody playing an old Beatles song and they're having this lovely, fuzzy, warm feeling of being a teenager again. So what's really going on there? And do we get hooked? Do we have to get hooked? Do we have to get lost? Is it wise to indulge? Is it wise to indulge in sense experience? Well, we can read about it, and the Buddha said it's not wise to indulge, it's not wise to cling. Clinging causes suffering. But reading about it alone doesn't do it. We need to bring that information into our practice, 
the next level of the Eightfold Path, the application, is the approximation, the application. And then the third aspect of the Eightfold Path, or the third Eightfold Path, is the Patiwedi, or the, the realization that is those beings who, as Buddhists, we trust, we have confidence that there are beings around who have fully realized what the Buddha was talking about. And they live in a state of perpetual wisdom and compassion. For them, they never deviate from the Eightfold Path. They never leave the middle way. They live always in the middle way. Whatever sight, sound, smells, taste, touches and mental impressions occur to them, agreeable or disagreeable, they know so fully, they know with such accuracy, wisdom is so mature and so thoroughly integrated into the whole body-mind, not just the thought, not just initial insight, but so completely integrated and fully realised that whatever liking or disliking arises, that contraction of awareness which we call clinging, grasping, attachment or indulgence doesn't happen, just doesn't happen. So for them, the transformation... Not the alteration, for people who are still at a level of practicing, pati-pati, level of the Eightfold Path, they can experience some altered states of consciousness, but that's not transformation. For the realized beings, their consciousness has actually been transformed. They are still human beings, but they're realized human beings. And for them, they've realized the true possibility of complete freedom from suffering which expresses itself, as we're saying, as perfect wisdom and perfect compassion. And thank you very much this evening for your attention.